Welcome to Short Story Discussions, the podcast by Short Story Book Club for people who love short stories. Get the best short stories delivered to your door each month when you subscribe at shortstorybookclub.com. And now, here's our show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Short Story Book Club Discussions. Today, we are speaking with Sherry Flick. She is the author of Thank Your Lucky Stars, which is the latest selection of the month from Short Story Book Club. Sherry, welcome to the author chat. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Mm -hmm. So to kick things off... Uh, again, so I'm just going to let everyone in on, on the secret that you and I were actually chatting for a bit uh, prior to. <laughs> we <laughs> cheated a little bit. Yes, we did cheat just a little <laughs> bit um, uh, on this uh, interview. Uh, but we're going to start over again. And if there are any like inside jokes or whatever, we'll, we'll try to back <laughs> up and fill you all in. So. Um, to start us off, can you just, you know, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Um, I'm a writer living in Pittsburgh. Um, I teach at Chatham University, which is a smaller Willard school. I teach in the MFA and the food studies programs there. Um, I'm a big um, gardener and cook, and I write about food, too, um, Food shows up in my short stories a lot, but it also I also write nonfiction about about food. Um, I've lived here for about twenty years. Um, I'm also an editor. I was editor of the Best Small Fictions 2018, which um, came out in September, um, and with the guest editor Amy Bender, which was um, a great experience working with her. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wear kind of a lot of hats but I kind of like wearing a lot of hats in my life. And um, yeah, happy to be here today. Mm -hmm. Thank you uh, again for joining us. So you mentioned that you, you, you teach food studies in addition to the MFA. Mm -hmm. So what is the food studies? Tell us about that. Um, I teach a food writing class, which looks at um, food literature, but it also I also teach elements of nonfiction writing connected to food. In that class, we look at um, recipes, we look at historic documents that include food, and then we you know look at MFK Fisher, a classic essay, essayist who writes about food, um, as well as more contemporary work being published today. Um, so that's a fun class and I, I, that crosses over. I teach it to the food studies and the MFA students. Um, and I also teach a food and representations class, which is more of a cultural studies class, looks at food and film and food and music. And we think about how food operates in popular culture via social media. Um, so my students do, uh, more researched immersive work, um, in that class. Hmm. Um, so it's fun. It's kind of, uh, a newer field, a new, newly defined field, I should say. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of happy to, to be involved in its evolution. Hmm. And what is the fascination uh, with food? I mean, besides <laughs> the taste and all. Yeah, besides liking to eat. Right. <laughs> um, that's a good question. I, um, I was an under, as an undergraduate, I got a job at a bakery Series Bakery in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, to be exact. And um, I baked my way, I became a bread baker, and I baked my way through school. And so I guess ever since I started my, um, my education post-high school, food has been a, a part of it, e even if it's just been in the background. Um, so I baked there. Uh, I moved to San Francisco, and I had a baking job there. Um, and so I was already involved in a real uh, hands-on way in food culture, and uh, just very interested in how food um, brings people to get together, um, how community is formed, um, how we can look at different aspects of our culture through food, um, you know, and also historically how it defines people, you know, regionally it defines people, 
you know, we all eat. So it's a great connector. So for me, um, food was just always there. And then suddenly I realized I could add it to my academic study. And that became very interesting to me because it's, um, you know, it's theoretical, but it, for me, it's also very grounded. Mm-hmm. And what is something interesting that you could tell us about food or food culture or food writing that that we probably wouldn't think about? Like, let's say, for example, what I mean by that is um, I was thinking about this book that I recently read. It's called... Um, the Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli. And so anyone who's uh, signed up for for the um, uh, email newsletter knows that I, I recently wrote about this and I was talking about how the book actually changed my life. And really mm-hmm. the book just talks about time, right? And how time is like this um, man-made uh, invention to explain the world around him. But that book, while it's really just about time and science, for me, it wound up like opening this this other door to like this other way of looking at the world and um, even some some aspects of religion sort of um, blossomed for me as a result of reading this book about time, right? So I just mm-hmm. wonder, like, is there anything special or surprising or insightful maybe about food that you know when we think about it on the surface we may have one impression but maybe there's something else that we're like really missing about it or something that we could learn about it that could enhance our knowledge of it yeah one thing that has helped me um in teaching these classes and thinking more deeply about food culture and, of course, reading more widely, is how food is so connected to memory, you know. Um, you know, we can be walking down the street and you smell bubbling tomato sauce coming out of somebody's window and suddenly we're transported to our grandmother's kitchen, you know. Um, and, you know, the question is sort of why? Um, why, why does food serve as that trigger? Um, and part of what I've started to kind of piece together is it's really hard to describe taste. You know, it's kind of hard to describe the tomato sauce besides saying, you know, it's delicious. You know, we have these, we have these like kind of lame words in English to describe food. But if we think about it more connected to memory and we describe setting and, and, and maybe the grandmother herself, we can suddenly evoke the taste of the food through, through rendering um, the place and so for me, as far as a creative writer, it's really helped me tremendously with setting as a craft element and realizing how important it is to time and memory and also evoking some sensory details that are perhaps harder to, to describe. It can, you know, it can kind of work as an aid in that sense. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fascinating for me um, to just slowly, as I'm teaching this work, realize, oh, wow, there are all these connections to setting that I think when we think about food, we don't necessarily immediately think about place, but you know, of course it's just really tightly connected. Mm -hmm. That is very insightful. I hadn't even really thought about that. I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who will be listening to this, who have always thought, Oh, wouldn't it be nice to be a food writer or, um, uh, or, or something like that, you know, involving, food or recipe Mm -hmm. author even (laughs) I mean when you think about it even if you look at some of the better cookbooks and I'm thinking now of Afro Vegan I don't know if you've read this book or not but one of the things that makes the book so wonderful besides the recipes is actually the stories and the music and all of this Mm -hmm. other cultural um, extra that he adds to the book around the recipe. Uh, so I, ha- I hadn't I hadn't really been able to articulate that before, but um, I think that's I think that's it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all interconnected, and mm-hmm. 
we don't we don't really talk about food that way that much, but it's you know in a classroom setting, it's great to see students kind of making these bigger connections. Mm-hmm. And about your classes, um, very interesting. Is it possible to take your class without getting uh, a degree from Ch- Chatham? <laughs> I think it's possible to take it without getting a degree. I think you have to sign. I think you can sign up to audit it because I've had students do that in my, mm-hmm. um, my writing classes. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly how to do it. But sometimes I teach classes out in the, for the general public, um, you know, about food writing or about, you know, fiction. So I have a newsletter too, and I, I put, um, and, and on my website, I put that info, I try to put that information out as soon as I can. Okay, great. And what's that website? It's uh, sherryflick.com. Okay, great. Really straightforward. <laughs> okay. So I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. I would love to to learn more about food and writing. So um, before we got on the call, we were actually um, talking about um, Baltimore, uh, which is where I'm from. And we started talking about different... Uh, not different, but a particular writer's conference. Um, but actually, one of the, the questions that I had wanted to ask you uh, before we, before we, like, I had like this whole list of questions. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you about Pittsburgh, actually. Um, like, I've never been to Pittsburgh. What is it, what is it like to uh, be a writer in this? in this town? Um, let's see. I've been in Pittsburgh now for about 20 years and it's really changed a lot in that time. Um, there's a pretty vibrant, uh, lit scene here at this point. There are quite a few universities that, you know, it's one place writers of course exist. And then there also have been in recent years, a bunch of writers moving in who aren't associated with university. Um, we have a lot of, we, for a while, we didn't have any bookstores. It seemed like they all closed. And now we have this new renaissance of bookstores. There's um, White Whale Books and City Books and Classic Lines and City of Asylum Bookstore. Um, and so that's really exciting. And they all have different readings happening there um, throughout the year. Um, it's a pretty tight-knit community. Um, we all know each other to some degree. Um, and, you know, I, I like getting drinks with many of the writers that I know in the city. Um, so I, I feel like it's pretty, it's pretty down to earth. Um, and it's, it's kind of, uh, in some ways, an ideal place for writers to come because it's, it's rather inexpensive here as far as, you know, most compared to most cities these days. Mm-hmm. So you can find usually an apartment or even buy a house for less money than you would normally anticipate. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, there are, there are, it seems like there are a lot of artists and writers moving in from bigger cities who are kind of getting placed out. So that's kind of fun meeting new people. And, um, I've always hung out with, um, a wide variety of artists, musicians and sculptors and visual artists. So, um, I like having that kind of interdisciplinary I'm having those kinds of conversations rather than just hanging out with writers, a a wide variety of artists. Okay. You know, yeah. Um, composers and musicians and visual artists and sculptors. I like that kind of discussion rather than just writers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So it sounds like it's, uh, it's a, it's a pretty, um, like artistically, it seems like it's like it's growing uh, from something yeah, it's that it small used to but be. Mighty. <laughs> yeah, and is it an industrial city still? I mean, I seem to have this this um, understanding that mm-hmm. Pittsburgh is very factory yeah. oriented. No, that's that's pretty much all gone now. Okay. Um, where I live in the South Side slopes, uh, it used to look out over one of the mills. Um, and 
and now it it just looks out to a really pretty view across the river. So there's no more uh, factory smoke or anything like that. Everything pretty much closed down, and now it's universities and medical centers, and um, Google is here, and Uber is here. So um, you know, there's a there's a definitely a, a tech presence in the city now. Do you like that? Um. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really ever see any of the tech mess of it. Um, so it, it hasn't affected me that much. I don't think that certain neighborhoods are gentrifying at a ridiculously fast rate. Um, but um, I like that it, we don't have pollution <laughs> I, I like that it's not a factory town you know right um but it wasn't really I never lived here when it was so when I, they, all the factories were closed by the time I moved here okay all right well so have you so prior to living in Pittsburgh where were you from um, so I grew up north of here in a town called a, a, a mill town called Beaver Falls, um, and then I moved to New England for school, and I lived in New Hampshire, and then I moved to San Francisco, California, and then I went to the University of Nebraska for grad school in Lincoln, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and then to Pittsburgh. So kind of a big lopsided circle. Okay, and so. For those of us who uh, who are listening and um, are unfamiliar with your a new collection of short stories, the Midwest is featured prominently uh, in a number of these stories. Can you just talk a little bit about that? I mean, now I see the you know the Midwest connection with your your college days, but um, what sort of effect did going to school there have on you? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I, um, until I arrived in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, sight unseen, um, I, I hadn't realized how important it was for me to live near water. <laughs> um, I had either lived near rivers or one or the other ocean um, on the east or west coast. And um, so I got to the Great Plains, and it was an entirely different culture than I had ever experienced, which um, was really great for my writing and um, not as great for my uh, actual mental health because I couldn't quite figure out um, my place there. Um, And the sky was really, really big, and it was very flat, and you could see forever, and it seemed like water should be around the corner, but it was never there. Mm. And what do you mean finding your place? Hello? And I wasn't trying to figure out places I had lived formerly. I was really trying to figure out Nebraska. Um, and so I did a lot of reading. I read a lot of pioneer journals and I read a lot of essays about the Great Plains just to kind of figure out um, why I was so uncomfortable there. I um, don't know if I ever came to a definitive conclusion, but it was really um, my how I stood coming very interested in setting a craft element um, and what it means to, to render place and how place is connected to culture. Hmm. Okay, now I am going to just jump for a little bit. Um, there is one story <laughs> um, in in this collection that talks about a young. Well, I don't know how old she is, but there's a woman who, um, while she is, she's either in college or thinking about college, something like that. She has a a, a boyfriend in the city, and a boyfriend um, in the mid in the Midwest, or uh, a cowboy. I remember it was about. <laughs> uh, is that was that you that this is about? Oh no, no, yes. it's not me so much oh. as me stealing places. You know, using the place and putting put person. You know, 
into a character into places that I know, right? So I can I can these locations and kind of know how um, a city like San Francisco contrasts to a city. I don't even know if, if Lincoln is specifically named in Nebraska, but it's a small town in Nebraska. Um, so that was very interesting. And then kind of having in that story open and shut, um, there's a kind of uh, continuous presence in the story so that even things that have happened in the past are described as if they're ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think hopefully that reflects the main character's state of mind, you know, <laughs> with as she's trying to figure out her own life in the, in the great time. Hmm. I, that, I hadn't even realized that part. I mean, I, I was reading that one and I was just thinking to myself that I was impressed with the way that you wrote the story backwards. <laughs> and you you did do that intentionally or did it just flow that way? Um, I did that intentionally. Yeah, it it ended up that story took a really long time to finish because um of the structure. So I had to make sure that the reader came with me as we abruptly changed locations oftentimes paragraph to paragraph mm-hmm. back and forth through time. Um, yeah. So that I was really interested in that structure and trying to make it work. And it took years to really um, finally um, make it so that uh, what the structure that was in my head <laughs> actually got transferred to the page. So the, you said that took you years to write? Oh Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. now see, mm-hmm. see this, this is one of the reasons I love short stories because you would think that because, oh, well, it's, you know, it's only so many pages. Well, therefore you should be able to, you know, to sit down and write it in an afternoon. Whereas, right. you know, a novel, it, of course it takes decades, <laughs> but really, I mean, it's, it's, there's just this, this masterfulness, um, that you, that you sometimes find, like, you know, every, there's a, there's a genius, um, uh, every, every so often that you find, uh, and it's just amazing. I mean, I was reading that and I was just, just really impressed with the work that you did there. And I, and I can absolutely see how that would, would take years. That story is uh, closer to really 15 pages, but you know, some of the stories that are only five pages also took years to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, the sad, it's the sad state of like trying to compress a world so that it is effective and has a deep resonance and, and also is achieving what I want it to achieve at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so why, I mean, is that why you chose short stories as a genre rather than novels for the challenge it brings? Um, I wrote a novel. I mean, I have a novel published, Reconsidering Happiness, that I published in 2009. Um, I love short stories. I mean, it's definitely the form that comes most naturally to me. Um, I like compression. I like um, the minimalism that can exist in a short story. Um, but I really am happy that I wrote a novel because I learned so much while writing it that I could then kind of carry back into my short stories. So for me, I can see the difference between stories I wrote before I wrote the novel and stories I wrote after um, I'm just able to get more density into those stories that I wrote after than, than previously. Mm. Um, so yeah, I love the short story form. You know, I just feel like, oh, there's so much that draws me to it. Um, and I know that novels are more marketable. And, you know, I wrote a novel because my mentor, Marley Swick, who was a short story writer when I first met her, um, you know, she pushed me to write a novel. She, she thought I should, I should tackle that creative challenge. 
um, which I'm happy I did, but it just wasn't um, entirely my passion, you know, mm-hmm. and I can't, I can't really change that. I yeah, there's, there's something about, um, and all artists struggle with this. Um, it's the, you know, the thing about working for the love of the art and working for, um, for, to get paid, frankly, um, you, you have to decide, I mean, you've been very fortunate to be able to, to write short stories and do the craft in the way that you want to. And there are so many other authors who feel like they have to write a novel, um, to be taken seriously or to get, um, you know, the following that they want. And it's only until they've written several novels that they then go back and start to write short stories. Or at least this, this is how it appears to be to me when I mm-hmm. follow the trajectory mm-hmm. of some of these more popular um, authors um, who are, who've made it mainstream. Um, yes, I agree. That's, that's what many you know, agents and publishers want. Mm-hmm. as well. And so why why do you suppose um more people don't read short stories? I mean, when I think about it, you know, I'm saying to myself, well, everyone's talking about how pressed for time they are or everyone's <laughs> saying how they how they don't like to read or whatever and I mean, well, if you don't have a lot of time and you don't like reading and you know, you have all these other you know, excuses, you know, why not read a, read something shorter or, uh, than, uh, than a novel perhaps. I mean, I don't know. I just, I just, I just wonder why more people don't, don't take. I wonder that too. I, I mean, I think part of it is people really love getting really deep into a world for a, a longer period of time and a novel can supply that in a way that a short story definitely pops you in and out, you know, mm-hmm. um, in, in one sitting or two sittings. Um, I also think maybe people don't read as many short stories in school and may, maybe they aren't as geared toward that form, you know, cause we're kind of taught how to read a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, so I do wonder about that. It does seem like uh, in the past five years, there are a lot more short story collections being published and a lot more kind of, um, you know, uh, getting some attention at least, which is nice. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about novellas? I mean, obviously it's, you know, a great genre, but uh, just in terms of, uh, you know, as a, I guess... As a as a place between the novel and the short story, do you have a, th- a yeah. thought about them? I think novel- I find novellas really intriguing um, because they are this weird hybrid um, form that uses elements of the short story and also uses elements of the novel. And I think because of that, they're really hard to write successfully. Um, I love the um, Dennis Johnson's novella Train Dreams. Um, I think it's such a successful novella, and and within this short piece, we we experience the entire life of his main character Grainier um, in a completely nonlinear way. And I just feel like he deals with memory and time in such a like brilliant. Um, so I loved it. I love that that book a lot. Um, and Amy Hempel has a novella, which is very, very different called tumble home. And Amy Hempel is like a dedicated short story writer. So it was kind of fascinating when she wrote a novella and, um, really pushed her form and it's, uh, epistolary. So she's writing letters to this person, but her, her main character is writing letters. And, um, so it's, it's much slower and quieter than, and and less dense than Dennis Johnson's novella. So they're kind of nice to look at side by side as examples of two ways you can tackle this form and really, really succeed. I've never tried to write a novella myself. I think that I imagine that it's just something that 
come that you suddenly are like, oh, this is a novella. I don't, I can't. I, in my mind, I don't imagine anyone trying to write a novella, but may, maybe they do. Um, you know, I just think it has to be an accident. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a short story that went too long, or a novel that stopped short. Yeah, and I had to deal with that. You know, yeah. <laughs> and someone just was just like, well, what do we call this? Um, yeah, right, exactly. Novella, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean yeah. that 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 probably is right. I mean that's that's probably exactly what happened. Someone you know <laughs> just started writing past short story length, and it wasn't it wasn't long enough to be called a novel. Yeah, and the the um, the lengths, you know, like the the distinctions between the novel and the novella really are not hard and fast. So really, it's all relative anyway so I mean and I also have noticed that like from a marketing standpoint a lot of novellas are now being titled as novels so it'll be like a a a novella of you know maybe like 250 pages or something which by short story book clubs um, uh, definition would make it a novella, right? So we say we consider anything around 300 pages or less a novella. But for marketing purposes, books of this length are being titled as a novel. And I, I think. Yeah, you know, right. Definitely for marketing, right? Yeah. It's also, they do that, they do something similar with linked short story collections where they kind of, you know, talk about them as a novel in stories, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's like, if you can get that word novel in there, it's, it has a, has a larger appeal. Right. So yeah, I think that is much marketing given. Are you comfortable with the way short stories are marketed these days? I mean, are, I mean, are you feeling like they are getting a resurgence or that they're getting their proper do or um i think that short stories have benefited from the rise of indie presses and it's a marketing scheme in a world that is sort of a step away from the new york houses um so there are smaller followings that um authors can kind of easily reach you know i write a lot of flash fiction. I write a lot of stories that are under a thousand words. And there's a pretty healthy world of consumers and writers and fans of flash fiction out there that, you know, I've been able to reach, you know, pretty, pretty effectively because of social media. And because I have a small press that kind of understands that kind of smaller world. And, and we kind of, um, strategize to, to, market to them instead of trying to um hit the big time mm-hmm. you know right. <laughs> um so it's you know i kind of feel like the the uh short story world is kind of small but mighty right now mm-hmm. and people who support it are pretty fervently behind it which is really nice right and the point that you made about social media that really is the game changer so yeah. it's not like short stories even have to um reach the status of, you know, uh, the big time because, um, they, they have their, their own community of, uh, of fans who will support them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. Um, we did sort of talk about one of the stories in the collection um, sort of, you know, it sort of just kind of just popped up in the conversation. But I do want to um, uh, talk a little bit more specifically about um, uh, I'm just uh, right now. I'm just kind of thinking about which way I, way I want to want to take this. <laughs> um, I think. Yes, let's go ahead and we'll we'll go ahead and talk specifically about 
um, the story that prompted the uh, title of the collection. So that is called How I Left Ned. At least I think that's correct. Is that correct? (laughs) It it ends with thanked my lucky stars. So I, I was thinking to myself, oh, well, this must be the title story. Um, so for the audience, can you just in your own words, summarize this story, you know, just because not everyone who's listening to this podcast will have read the story. So in this way, everyone has the same context. Right. Um, okay. So the story is in first person and there's an unnamed narrator. Uh, who stops um, on the side of the road to buy some corn. Um, and the farmers that are, are selling the corn, um, she's suspicious of them because they have um, curly perms and their uh, shirts unbuttoned to their navel with gold chains and they have razor stubble. And um, they start, um, she, she just wants to get a few ears of corn and they start telling her that... They only deal in bulk, and they end up just filling up this giant bag of corn. Um, and in this realization, she had the narrator has a, a, a realization about her husband Ned, um, what a jerk he is. And in this moment, she decides to leave him, and she gets in the car with the truck, of course, with the fake mafia farmers, and they drive into the sunset. Um, so it's a bit absurdist. It's a bit black comedy. Um, it has a lot of kind of almost film noir uh, dialogue in it, uh, back and forth between her and the farmers. Um, and uh, yeah, that's and it's the first story in the book. So it kind of uh, it kind of introduces you to a slightly warped world uh, from the get go as you as you kind of enter enter the world of Thank You Lucky Stars and. Was I mean, like, what was the inspiration for this this story? Um, well, this story is set in Nebraska, and uh, it arose from uh, a strange interaction that I had with um, farmers selling corn on the side of the road. It was just one farmer, um, and it it wasn't actually you know, as um, absurdist as this story, but it prompted the story in that I told the guy that I only wanted three ears of corn and he told me that um, he, he, they only sell six at a time. And, and I was like, well, why? <laughs> I only want three. Could I just have three ears? And he said, yes. But then when I got home and opened up the bag in my kitchen, there were six ears in the bag. <laughs> and so for whatever reason, that moment <laughs> um, prompted me into you know, thinking of these mafia farmers and writing this um, much darker story than I experienced. But I wrote it, I remember sitting down and I just wrote it all out um, immediately. It was kind of interesting. And then, of course, worked on revising and everything, but the general story uh, came out in the first draft. Hmm. And the end of the story, I mean, it's... uh. I mean, she just ups and leaves. Is this, yeah. uh, is there any sort of like meaning or significance behind that? Um, you know, it's interesting. At a reading recently asked me um, about this story and about that idea of, of the decisions that the narrator makes. And um, I ended up saying that night, um, it's a, it's a story of yes, right? If, if there, if there, if there is something presented to the narrator, she's saying yes to it. And so, you know, it's like, um, or, you know, and as an author, it's like, you know, have your character go through the door. Don't have your character stop Mm. at the door, whatever the door represents. So, um, if, you know, the character is presented with the pickup truck, the character gets into the truck and then we figure out as writer, like what that scenario means. So for me, it, it, as a writer, it was a really fun story to write because it was just like, yes, 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 yes. She's going to do all of these things and then we'll figure out, you know, what that means mm-hmm. after the fact. Yeah. So, it's you know, I, I she leaves her car running, too. So, you know, it's kind of she doesn't even like 
plan anything. She just gets into the truck and, and heads into the sunset. Hmm. And the, I guess the, for me, I had a totally different interpretation. Uh, and it, and it hit, <laughs> it hit me in a much different way. Um, so like the, the moral, um, compass of this woman, right? So she just ups and leaves her husband, no notification, no phone call, no, uh, sign this paper, none of that. There's like no courtesy or anything, um, to it. Um, I just, I was struck by that. Um, I mean, even (laughs) I, I do understand like once you, you know, described the outline of the story and how it was meant to be comedic, like, a, you know, a little, a little funny, then that, you know, I sort of, you know, got, got the joke. Um, but initially reading that story and then others following it, it sort of seemed to me as if there were a pattern of sorts uh, to your writing. And you may have, um, other people may have pointed this out to you, right? So something that seemed um, seemed to come to me was that, um, in particular, the women, right? The yeah. women in your stories seem to be... Um, seem to be uh, uncharacteristic of what people want women to be today. So let me let me, <laughs> let me clarify what that means. That's a really great way of describing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so so like um, you know how people will say today, oh well, you know, this woman, she's so strong. She's so, you know, she's, she's the boss. She's the, you know, she's got it together. Um, she's leaning in. <laughs> right. She's leaning in. <laughs> and, and it seemed to me that all of the female characters, you know, I was, these are, you know, just struck out at me. Like if I read this collection over two or second or third time, I might come away with something different. But it seemed to me that they were all like vulnerable and not just like in a way where, you know, there's a, you know, everyone like a superhero has a flaw type thing. But I mean, like these, these women seem to be so... And it was normal. It wasn't as if it were, was excessive or anything, but it just seemed that they that they did all the things that we tell women today not to do. Like they were obsessing over men. They were <laughs> leaving their husbands, yeah. you know. Um, they were having affairs. Um, it was just, I mean, is, is this... Were you thinking about this when you put this together or did this just kind of just happen? Well, um, I was thinking about it to a degree that when I constructed the short story collection, um, I included these stories, you know, so they fit as a whole. I have another collection called Whiskey, Etc. Um, that has a similar format. And um, the the stories kind of divided themselves into into these two two different collections, but I do definitely have an ongoing interest in um, feisty, isolated, lonely women who leave. Women um, who what? I, Say that again. Who leave? Who who um, get into a car and leave? <laughs> Okay. Um, like the woman did in How I Left Ned. Um, I'm, I'm really in, interested in this idea of, this is kind of slightly off topic, but women in cars are, are very interesting to me. 
there's a kind of empowerment of a woman driving alone in a car um, that um, has interested me and interested the writer Gertrude Stein. You know, it, it, it interested a lot of women writers it, it, over, over decades. Um, and so I'm interested in the small moments, though. And, you know, everything you said, you know, it's not, it's not what women are supposed to do, but it is what women do. <laughs> so I like to look at these scenes of, you know, how I left Ned isn't realism, but most of my work, you know, uh, is based more in realism with a capital R looking at these lives and um, how women move forward in tiny increments, you know. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, we make often gigantic moves forward. Um, so I like to look at those smaller worlds. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes people... Um, find my women characters unlikable because of that. But um, many, many women come up to me and say, yes, I totally either, you know, see myself or I see, I see um, kind of what you're wrangling with in this this work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I could totally identify with the, Mm -hmm. with these women. I mean, uh, my husband isn't listening, so <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I have, uh, you know, on some occasions wished that <laughs> that I could do some of the, you know, really uh, ballsy things that that uh, that these women do. I mean, that you know, they're normal things, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they're things that I would never never think of doing i mean no i would think of doing them but i would never actually do act on them right yeah. right yeah. right and i am i am uh i am i'm a happily married person um and i was i just read recently at juniata college where um an old high school friend of mine was a dean there and her husband Neil was in the audience and i read i read how i left mad and i read a couple other stories and in the q a Neil said oh I don't understand. I know you, and you're you're, you're a very happy, happy, married, happily married person. Um, you know, does Rick know that you write these stories? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, he definitely knows. Um, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, they aren't me. You know, and um, some people I think have a have a hard time with that aspect of it. But um, yeah, you know, it's a uh, psychological world that I like to explore. I'm not necessarily dwelling on it myself. Mm -hmm. And how do you learn to be so observant of human behavior, these little smaller points? Yeah, I'm very interested in um, the creative aspect of creative writing, that what you do off the page um, as a writer. Um, I do a lot of observation exercises with my students, and so I do them too, where, you know, I have them uh, observe a place for a period of time without having any machines turned on or anything, and have them start training themselves to see the interesting small details. I take a lot of walks, and... um, and just through doing that, you know, I, I just try to hone my observation skills so that I can see, see the details that make the world interesting and then also start seeing patterns in human behavior um, over time, which is the great thing about getting older, too. I can recognize larger patterns in human behavior and then replicate those patterns on the page. Mm-hmm. And for writers... Uh, who are listening to this, would you say that, you know, doing exercises like the one that you were talking about, like being more observant, uh, you know, being purposeful about your observation of mm-hmm. the world, um, that that, would you say that that's one of your secrets to success? <laughs> um, I would say it's very important um, for for writers to not just be observant, but to hone those skills so that um, it also helps me with nonfiction if I'm doing uh, an interview with someone who I'm then going to describe when I write up the piece. 
I'm very good at um, taking notes quickly and describing people now and noticing a little interesting thing about, you know, someone having a, you know, orange socks or something, you know, an interesting pin on their bag or something that can, you know, help characterize them. Mm -hmm. I can read that pretty quickly on people. So I think any kind of writer, um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a, a key to um, more succinctly getting to the heart of everything, character, dialogue, setting. Um, if you can just understand your world better, you know, and get out into your world. Because as writers, of course, we spend an inordinate amount of time alone uh, at our kitchen table or our desk or wherever you write, you know, um, I think it's important to get out into the world and experiencing it, experience it so you have um, things to write about. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. <laughs> I definitely want to take your class. I wish. <laughs> I wish. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, so let's talk about your upcoming book. So I okay. love reading your writing as well, um, as uh, as much as as much as I enjoy talking with you about your writing. Um, so you told me offline that um, this I think you did also mention this at the top of the the hour um, that uh, it is a nonfiction book. Um, what is the topic and why um, have you? chosen to write about this um so uh those are those are good questions and seemingly simple questions <laughs> i have a hard time answering with this book for some reason i'm gonna i'm gonna just plow forward here um so in 2015 i was selected as a fellow at creative Nonfiction magazine um and part of that fellowship had to do, we, we pitched an idea that was connected to Pittsburgh. I think um, the fellow, or I think it was called something like Pittsburgh Rights or something like that. I can't remember. And um, I pitched uh, an idea for a long form nonfiction piece and was accepted. And then they uh, gave us uh, resources and some full-day workshops on nonfiction writing and uh, fact-checker and all, this, all these great services as we, as we worked on our pieces. And so I wrote a long-form piece about the Pittsburgh city steps. In Pittsburgh, it's very hilly and historically filled with mill workers who didn't necessarily drive. And uh, there are staircases everywhere, especially in the south side slopes where I live. Um, I can't really leave my house without walking up or down a staircase. And so this infrastructure interested me. So I set out to walk all the staircases in my neighborhood, hmm. talk to all my old time neighbors about their experience with the stairs, talk to new um, neighbors about their relationship to the stairs and just kind of um, looked at their purpose. Um, their history, their future, um, and wrote, wrote up that piece. And then uh, Lee Gookin, who's the founder and um, editor at, at Creative Nonfiction, asked me if I'd be interested in writing um, a book with um, chapters that were similar to what I had written about the city steps. Um, and I had actually never considered that. <laughs> so it was a new idea for me. And I, I, I liked the creative challenge involved in it. So I wrote a proposal, uh, which they liked, and we signed a contract. And so I've been working on that for um, about two years now. Um, and so it looks at me, my relationship to Western Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. Um, I have a, I have a, somewhat strained relationship to Western Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up here um, and I don't, it doesn't feel like a homeland to me. And so I've been kind of examining that and asking questions about why. Um, but I also look at different elements of the city. I look at the rivers and um, I go on this great kayak trip. That's uh, whiskey rebellion slash David Bowie themed kayak trip 
which was a, a perfect kind of like weird Gen X kind of experience that um, connected me to some to some interesting river traffic. Um, but as I was writing the book, what started to happen was uh, I uh, started writing about my growth as a creative person and feminist. And so at, as it stands now, at least in the draft, every other chapter is kind of me um, moving away from this region, going to New England, uh, having you know grown up in a kind of macho forward mill town, going to New England and being involved in academia and learning about feminism from a different angle. Uh, also working at a bakery with all women, different feminist angle. And kind of how, you know, all these ideas formed who I am today. So it's not really a memoir. It's more of kind of a research personal narrative. Um, but uh, it's been fascinating for me to um, kind of go on this little uh, voyage into truth, you know, because when you're writing fiction, you can just change the plot to suit you. And with nonfiction, I have to, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't want it to be this year. I want it to be this other year, but I can't. I can't change that. So mm-hmm. that's been kind of uh, eye-opening for me <laughs> in the in the writing of the book. Hmm. That's very fascinating. So is the book still about the Pittsburgh city steps? Yeah, that's a chapter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's just a chapter now. Mm-hmm. And so it just goes all around the city. It looks at Andy Warhol and his connection to religion and legacy and how, you know, Andy Warhol left Pittsburgh um, and, you know, looks at some other artists who chose to stay in Pittsburgh and what it means to leave and what it means to stay, which is clearly a theme that I'm interested in, you know, in my fiction too. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm looking at that at that angle as well. So it's really, uh, you know, I, it's been fortunate. I've lived here long enough that I have a lot, I know a lot of people in the city. Um, asking people for interviews has been relatively easy because I, I'm not really cold calling anyone. I already kind of know, you know, kind of know the person in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been kind of um, really nice. Well, this is great. I mean, I can only imagine, uh, you know, that what you do with fiction, you know, just talking about narratives and fiction that, that it would just, this would just be one, a really interesting, um, nonfiction, creative, nonfiction book. Uh, I'm very excited about this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then also, I mean, if you're the kind of person who loves travel, I mean, just learning about the history of the city and something as mundane as steps, right? How, How it can just, how it's really... And in fact, we were we were talking about that uh, actually offline. <laughs> so we were talking about time uh, right, right. And, and how and how these little little things, or maybe it was in this podcast. I don't know, uh, but how these li- little things um, really sometimes have very big stories around them. Right. Right. Uh, okay. And again, that's that's a short story, right? Little a little story <laughs> with with something really big, um, lots of depth around it. Sure. So, um, Sherry, this has just been a fantastic uh, conversation. Um, thank you so much for doing this author chat with us. Thank you um, for the, the, the great wide ranging questions. Uh, and I hope that was okay. I I do wonder just, <laughs> um, and if you can, uh, to close us out, um, you know, leave us with any websites or, or, or anything that you, that you want us to, uh, to remember before we, before we sign off. My website is sherryflick.com. And uh, if you go to the contact page, you can also sign up for my newsletter. I have an email newsletter that comes out once a month. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and it's all just under Sherry Flick. Well, 
That's it for another great episode of Short Story Discussions, brought to you by Short Story Book Club. Would you like to become a member of the club? Visit us online at shortstorybookclub.com to subscribe. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. Your story matters, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for being part of today's episode. See you next time.